Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Phil Ward, a.k.a. Lord Ward, about the 1984 hip-hop compilation, Street Sounds Electro 4. I generally have a rule where I don't like talking about comps, but this one is so specific, I couldn't pass it up. Basically, if you come at me with something a little different, chances are you'll get my attention. Phil Ward also played in the group Low Fidelity All-Stars. Their song, Battlestar, might be their best known, and it was featured on ER, Smallville, The Sopranos. It was also featured in Coyote Ugly, Very Bad Things, and the game Duke Nukem Forever. They were a very pivotal drum and bass trip-hop group from the mid to late 90s to the early 2000s. Phil recently released an EP under the name Lord Ward on Plastic Miracles. I highly recommend it. Before we get into the chat, I'll say there was some street noise, being that Phil is in New York City. And also, the comp isn't available on streaming, but it is easy to find on YouTube if you just search Street Sounds Electro 4. Also, you should check out the other Street Sounds comps that we talk about. So without further ado, let's chat with Phil. Hey, Phil, how's it going? All right, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And as I say, my cat Sparky D, who is named after another singer from rapper from the thing we're going to talk about, may jump onto the camera anytime soon. But Sparky yeah. D was the first ever female rap battle rapper in New York. And I was obsessed with Sparky D. She only released a few songs, but so my cat's a street cat. So I called her Sparky D after Sparky D, the rapper. So she may come on the screen anytime soon, who knows? Yeah, so today we are talking about... Um, so actually, before I... Usually I feel like I have a rule where I'm like, don't do compilations or don't do greatest hits. And this is the second time I've broken that rule. So when you sent me the uh, suggestions for you know records we could cover, um, just kind of not that I really have to explain this to people listening to the podcast, but usually I get people to pick three albums and then we kind of you know, narrow it down. But I didn't know anything about Street Sounds Electro, but it sounded like something I would be drawn to, so naturally I picked it, so I broke my own rule. Um, but Street, Street Sounds Electro 4 came out in 1984. That was on the Street Sounds label, which was a British label. It was an offshoot of Street Wave, and that's, other than listening to it, I mean, I know a lot of things that are on it, but I knew nothing about it, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this these compilations were everything to a small group of people all over England. I've met people since who bought, they came out maybe once every six months, always mm -hmm. on, they'd come on vinyl, but nobody bought the vinyl. It was always on cassette, guaranteeing okay. everybody had these albums on cassette. And it was this bloke called Morgan Khan, who was just like a, record company executive who would just release the latest records coming out of New York. It was always New York. There was never anything else initially. And they'd put six or seven tracks on the cassette and it would blow everybody's mind. And you'd be talking about it at school. And Street Sounds is his company. Electro, that's a whole different discussion why it's called Electro. Yeah. But, uh, they were just 
they were everything. I was, I was 13 when this came out. And the first one I got into was Electro 8, mm-hmm. this is, which is where Sparky D, my cat, is first appears on Electro 8. But Electro 4 was the first one I heard. And, but, and I heard, I could go into the story, I could ramble forever about this particular story. But I was going on, we were going on a school trip to a, a, a theme park. There was only one theme park in England in the 80s, and it was a shit theme park, but there was one theme park. And we were going on a school trip to it, and I remember a lad called Stephen Carr brought out a massive cassette player, like a proper brick, not one mm-hmm. of the cool ones that you see in New okay, York. Okay, okay. Now, like, uh, I guess they call them, they called them like ghetto blasters back in the day, so not yeah, like that. Yeah, that wasn't that. It was one of those little block cassette players that used to have a little handle that used to pull out and you could hang it around, but it was like a rectangle. It wasn't cool. Okay. And we played Electro 4, and the first tune that came on was Breaking in Space, and it completely and utterly blew my mind. Uh-huh. I, at that point, I'd been listening to the radio and the pop music, and I can vividly remember how it sounded and how it completely fucking blew me away mm-hmm. at 13, 14 years old. And and then after that, I just bought every single... I went back to the Electro that just came out, was Electro 8, and then just bought them all upwards. And yeah, and that was it. Stephen Carr on the school trip to... And we used to even mimic the scratching on Breaking in Space with our zippers. I was going, is that a zipper doing that noise? Because it's really heavy scratching on Breaking in Space, and Stephen Carr said, oh, it's somebody doing a zipper. And we were all, I remember all of us on the school bus going, tick, 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 trying to do the scratching sound. So, incredible vivid memory, and that was it. From then on, all I ever bought was hip-hop. For the next 10 years of my life, it was a awakening, completely and utterly. And there was a small group of us in school. It wasn't a big scene across the country, but it was big enough. And yeah, Morgan Khan, I don't think has any idea how much he influenced a small group of uh, adolescent boys, because it was mainly boys back then, you know. So the way that everything kind of just, I wouldn't even say there's like a transition, it just, when you start Street Sounds Electra 4, it really feels like it just goes the whole time. Like there's really no break, and I know that's like a thing that's consistent a lot in that type of music. But, no, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like the first compilation was mixed. When you get that, it was mixed. Nobody did mixed compilations. This was long before the DJ mix was a thing. Mm-hmm. All those cassettes were mixed, which was mind-blowing. You know, some mixes were good, some were bad. You'd be, you talk about certain mixes with your friends, like the transitions, when it wasn't just wasn't a thing at the time. So it was mm-hmm. a unique sound. And, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's just like it just goes, you know, till, till the end. Like the, I think, like 30-some minutes that it is there. Um, you know, whatnot, like it just feels like one continuous song. Like the, you know, the only part that feels like it kind of goes into a thing, but it's a, it's a nice break. Um, I, when going into this, I was like, I'm always like hesitant about run DMC. Like it just, it feels like it like hasn't aged well. It just, you know, seems sometimes, uh, and I loved it a lot as a kid. Yeah. It's like liking like fat boys and stuff. And it just, sometimes it feels like a novelty. But in the context of this compilation, like, I, actually, I just want to say album because it's it's yeah, mixed it's, so well. It's a brilliant hip hop album. Yeah, it's like it's one continuous thing, and so even when it hit that Run DMC song, it fits right in there. Like, it didn't feel like out of place. But that's the crazy. That's what's so good about Electro Four is you've got the Pumpkin All Stars. We are the Funky All Stars. The the, the Pumpkin All Star tune. 
which is a party song. Hip hop up to that point was all parties like hip to the hop, hip, you know, it was all that sort of yeah. stuff. And that song's incredible. It's got Jekyll and Hyde, the rappers, and Jack, I think Jekyll or Hyde was Andre Harrell, who went on to start Uptown Records, mm-hmm. Puff Daddy, you know, so a legendary legend in hip hop is on that song. My first ever band, which is called Low Fidelity All Stars, we sampled We Are the Funky All Stars on our first ever release. We sampled Pumpkin and the All Stars because they sing We Are the Funky All Stars. So we so that song means a lot to me. But it was one of the last party songs because all of a sudden you get one DMC sucker MCs, which is a rap and a drum machine. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. party, there's no partying, there's no funk samples. And it's like that album, Electro 4, completely shows a transition from party rap to street rap. And after Electro 4, all the New York stuff that comes out is pretty much all drum machines and rapping. Yeah. There's no sort of party. This party raps, but it's a lot heavier. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about Electro 4. You've got Pumpkin and Also has a brilliant song. And then you've got Sucker MCs, which is one of the rawest hip-hop songs of all time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's not to like, it's like not to take anything from Run DMC. It's just, it feels like it kind of fits in a different place in my head than... Oh, yeah. I mean, the know. early Run DMC is incredible. You know, I'm not a fan of the older stuff, but the earliest, the first album's crazy, you know. Yeah. It, it didn't sound like anybody else. And that Sucker MCs. It's just, yeah, a drum machine. It's the one rap that I learned off by heart. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew that a whole first couple of verses I knew off by heart. It was like, because it was just incredible lyrics. And yeah, but then it, yeah, that whole album, I just think you go from Pumpkin and the All-Stars to Sucker MCs. It's like, that's New York changing in the space of two songs. And it's yeah. on Electro 4, which is why Electro 4 is so important to me anyway. I might be completely wrong. I'm sure some hip hop nerd can say, well, there was this song that came out after. But, and then I remember Electro's after that were just drum machines and it was heavier and it was a little bit darker, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, there is like elements of um, like those early, like early Ice T records, like it, the, the way that those are produced, like. I would assume like this had some influence or, you know, it had influence on something that had an influence on it. Cause that was like 88, 89. So yeah. a few years had passed. Like it's definitely like when you listen to those early ice T records, it's like just drum machine and bass, like, you know, well, and LL Cool J the same way. Oh, well, that's the thing. I mean, LL Cool J was my first ever concert was LL Cool J, Public Enemy and Eric B and Rakim when I was 15. Def Jam tour came over to England and that was my first ever tour was LL Cool J headlining Public Enemy on second. Anyway, incredible show. LL Cool J kit, they lowered a massive cassette player from the ceiling and the cassette deck opened and LL Cool J came running out of it. But but yeah, you're right. The whole uh, rawness of hip hop, I think, came from Sucker MCs pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, even like here... I mean, I guess I'm kind of just going through the tracks, which I usually kind of stay away from, but there's just so much to say, even just like, I remember the first time realizing like Herbie Hancock was a thing. And yeah. it was actually from um, like the original Death Wish movie um, that has a Herbie Hancock soundtrack. And I'm just like, yeah. And it's like, it feels like it, I mean, it fits the movie well, but it also feels like it's its own thing. Like those soundtracks that just like, leap out of the movie and just kind of like i could take this away from it and it's still like that's a lot of herbie hancock to me you know well that's the thing and herbie hancock was the first of those old school jazzers 
to mm-hmm. embrace hip hop. And yeah. the Herbie Hancock mix, mega mix on Electro 4 is mixed by Grand Mixer DST, who was the one who did all the scratching on Rocket. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, there's a great footage on YouTube of Grand Mixer DST. He went out on tour with Herbie Hancock, which is unbelievable at the time. You know, it's like Herbie Hancock just completely moved with the times. And that mega mix is one of the first mega mixes. You know, it's like it became a norm in hip hop that a DJ would take an album that they just put out and mix it all together in a three minute song. Like mm-hmm. DJ Premier did it, Mantronics, all these legendary producers. But uh, yeah, that mega mix of Harry Hancock is one of the first things. And Grand Mixer DST is just was a New York DJ legend, and it's incredible that Herbie Hancock just embraced it and took him out on tour all around the world, you know, doing scratching with a jazz band. That must have been mind-blowing in 1985 for all these jazz fans, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot. uh, I mean, not a lot of that. I mean, there could have been more of it, but um, like like Miles Davis kind of did the same thing near, like, the end of his career when, you know, kind of around the, uh, when he wore the, like, space glasses kind of era. Uh, you know, uh, but I feel, I feel like I know only, I know like enough about any of this to almost like frustrate myself that I don't know more about, <laughs> it's like, I know a lot of the stuff exists, but I don't, it's like, I don't know where to place it like linearly, you know? No, I know. I mean, I never really liked the Miles Davis hip hop influence stuff because the beats are pretty shit to me. Yeah. Yeah. I but- never got super into it. I have, I have a friend that it's like a big thing that i don't like that era but you know it's like i just it's something about it, it just doesn't feel as cohesive as like no, no, you know, i this. completely agree you know I'm, i've got been getting into jazz more and more i mean I, again all my my obsession with funk which is my biggest funk and northern soul are my biggest part of my record collection mm-hmm. funk all came from just finding out where the samples came from from hip-hop that's exactly yeah. Exactly why I got into funk and got obsessed with buying seven-inch singles of funk was all from hip-hop. And I know James Brown should have got paid for all these people sampling him, but James Brown got a resurrection career because of hip-hop people sampling him, you know. Yeah. He got got to tour the world and get... I mean, he should have got paid, but then I've sampled loads of people over the years and never paid out, so I can't talk. Yeah, I always feel like when you do something that it's like it becomes like its own thing like that that's always like a complicated thing like i always feel like it should be free use if you're making it into you know something completely original which a lot of these people were they're they're manipulating it so much it's like you can you almost you do have to like search a lot to kind of figure out what it is like you know if you've isolated like a horn part or whatnot um but it really just becomes like its own a whole different animal so completely and i think you know Herbie Hancock embraced it and certain old musicians embraced it and some sort of kicked against it, I think. But I understand it. It is stealing in a way. You know, you are to, if you're not paying out for it, if you're, if you're a struggling musician who was screwed over by the record companies when you put your music out in the 60s and 70s, to be screwed over all over again in the 80s and 90s must have pissed you off. So I understand it. Oh, you yeah. yeah. If, you have, if you have a big hit, if you have a top 10 hit and you've sampled somebody you need to pay that person you can't take all the money you know yeah yeah i mean i think that is like the difference like if it truly did but i feel like so many of these things that have been sampled that maybe sampled james brown like a lot of them didn't get like that big so you know it's like where would the money have been to pay 
Well, this has always been my argument. I've always sampled. My whole career of making music, I've sampled stuff. It's what I do and chop it up. And I've always said, I used to, I run this very small record label, put out a few things and should I sample stuff? And it's like, look, it's the Wild West out there now. There's Mm -hmm. no money to be made as a musician unless you have a big hit. So all they're going to do to you is say, take that record down. And if they say that to you, then it means you've got 100,000 views on YouTube. And then that's a good problem to have because then you can release your next record without samples and get a following. You know, I think I put out records, I get 500 views on YouTube. Nobody's going to track me down and say, right, give me $10,000. So it's a really good problem to have. If somebody tracks you down, it means a lot of people have heard your music. And yeah. then you just, you just take the record take the record down. You know, they won't sue you because who's going to do that these days unless unless you've made money. It's like, you know, Tracy Chapman suing Nicki Minaj recently. But then, you know, Nick, Tracy Chapman has said no to Nicki Minaj sampling it and she sneaked it out into a mixtape. And this is Nicki Minaj who's going to sell millions. So Tracy Chapman rightly so was like really pissed off. Uh, yeah, I mean, in those cases, like when someone has that kind of platform, it's like you know there's money going through it. So, of course, you know, yeah. like Nicki Minaj, like that one's like an easy kind of like, well, Nicki Minaj, it's, it's hard to know like where the line ends, you know, and that, that would be like a complicated thing because it's like, Something getting 500 views on YouTube, I'd say no. You know? yeah, but no, if you're... Yeah. You're just dropping the ocean. This is what I've learned putting out music now. I was in a semi-successful band back in the mid-late 90s. You know, and we got a big record advance and everything like that. We were one of the last to get a record advance. And everything's so different now. There's just... There's, there's very little money to be made, you know. It's, it's a real... You've got to be a real dedication to... to do it you know and it, most people do it because they do it nowadays you know some people will make money from it but it's a problem with there's a lot bunch of rich kid bands these days don't get me started on the rich kid bands who don't have, yeah. to, worry about, don't have to worry about going out and getting a job because they can afford to you know i don't know i'm not gonna yeah. get started on that whole thing <laughs> the very yeah. english very english class thing that we don't need to go down that road but you know yeah, it's um actually Elise um that you know kind of put us yeah. in touch. Elise from Oceanator um was mentioning to me about your previous band, and I, you know I it's like when I heard it, I was like, oh, I think I do know this song, but you know it didn't ring a bell. But you know, like some of the things that I was looking up, like uh, you know you all playing Clastonbury, and like you're saying, like had a you know a record deal, you know that must have been like a a moment at that time you know yeah i mean we were like on the front cover of the enemy and melody maker in a couple of weeks after just our first single had come out it was it was insanity and we were one of the last bands we got a massive record company advance and all this shit you know and then it nothing happened in england but it all kicked off in america so all of a sudden we were in america playing big festivals and the craziest moment i mean it was a brilliant time but the craziest moment we played howard stern show in the morning mm-hmm. and then went to do a k-rock show at jones beach in the evening and this listen to this lineup this show at the time of when we were popular lineup was rage against the machine kid rock limp biscuit and rob zombie uh-huh. and and low fidelity all stars we won first obviously and we went backstage and fred durst is painting fucking playboy models gold it was in it just you know we were just this whole album, the song that was a big hit in England, in America, was recorded in the garage. It was recorded in the garage, and the drums were recorded in the bathroom. And hey, 
I won't get into the, the reason why we're not millionaires because it involves one very famous but very cool record label that everybody thinks is cool but fucked us over. Yeah. And basically, we remixed one of their artists and we said, oh, can we put this song on our album? We think it might do okay. And they said, yeah, you can do that, but you give us 100% publishing. And we were a bunch of fucking idiots. Our manager was just a mate of ours. We didn't know. And we go, yeah, we're going to sell 500 copies of this album. So he said, all right, then you can have 100% publishing. And then the, that album sold like a million a million copies, I think, worldwide. And, hmm. you know, we got to travel the world, but we didn't. Yeah, make... that's I always mean... the thing. Like, I feel like even now, like, I mean, I've never been in a band that's like a success by most means. You know, it's like I'm on a label that pays for my, you know, recording and puts out my records. So to me, that's a success. But... Like, I feel like if I were given the same opportunity as you, even at my age, I, I would still be like, yeah, you can take it all. What's the difference? Because I, you know, I'm so yeah. used to, I'm like you said, like, what, 500 copies? What are we even talking about? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 like I said, this one song that was a hit was recorded in, in the garage. It was, it was so basic. I remember the keyboard player playing the Hammond solo at the end, and he was so shit-faced, so drunk, when he did the final slip. Uh, flurry, he fell off the stool and that was a take that went on the song that's ended up on I don't know how many soundtracks over the years it, but you know I'm really not bitter, I might sound it but I might sound bitter but I'm really not, I got to travel I got to travel the world, the reason I'm living in New York now is because of the band so I'm not. I'm really not bitter about it yeah it was a crazy time, I mean, we loved it you know, and I DJ'd a lot at the time so it was it was fun times, but the thought, I couldn't imagine doing it again. Not that I would ever yeah. do it but my, we were in our 20s, and we were, it, you know, we, we were doing, you know, we were, we were sort of partying a lot at the time. I don't want to say too much, because my mum's going to guarantee to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think, like, what kind of interests me almost makes me go on, like, a more interviewy thing than I'm used to, is because I... I feel like I'm I'm trying to like trace that love of like hip hop and I guess like electronic music like throughout your life because it's it just even listening to like the new Lord Ward stuff it's like it's something you've chased your whole career I guess one could say like you know from that first time you, I guess you heard Electro 4 or Electro 8 to now <laughs> it's yeah it's I, I love I love to sample and I love to use drum machines. Mm -hmm. And I, the Lo-Fi's as a band live was a full band, bass, drums, guitar, and they all, we put that on the record, but I've always just, and it's funny, I used to be obsessed with the sound quality. It had to be beautiful sample and it had to be taken perfectly. And now all these stuff I've been releasing, the whole Lord Ward EP is me holding up my iPhone to the soundtrack, to the speaker of my laptop. And that's how I take it sample. That's that's how it's done. I, drum machines, I'll play a drum machine through with my speaker, and I'll hold my microphone to my phone, and that's how it's that's how it's put together. It's like I do, I love it, absolutely love this this one minute tunes in a day that I did in the first lockdown was to keep myself mm -hmm. sane, was to like start a tune in the morning, finish it by the evening, make a video for it, and put it on Instagram. You know, I get I get no more than I think the most views I've ever had is like 130 views of anything <laughs> I've done. But man, it, it fucking opened up. It opened up writing again. I hadn't written anything for years. I just hit, you know, I wasn't interested in music, and 
I've had this creative burst. It's all samples and it's all just chopping stuff up, but it's not worrying about stuff and not worrying about it sounding right or does it sound like this or like that. Just it sort of freed everything up for me. Yeah, that's always like a like I've played. I guess easily just say like I played rock music my whole time of playing music, and that's always the thing that I I try and remember. And it's so hard to keep that in check and just be like like don't think about it too much like almost like the not like maybe even sometimes like the first take like yeah it's like what you're feeling in that moment and run with that because when you start adding all of these things it's like the best songs i feel like i've written i may have written in like you know 15 minutes and then the ones that i labor over for like weeks it's just like it's not coming together so there is something about that immediacy that you're talking about with like I guess like holding your phone up in your case to a sample it's like there's something great about that it's true and there's a really good quote from ravi shankar about this that i cannot fucking remember for the life of me mm-hmm. i spent years trying to remember this quote where he talks about if you've not got it done in the first six hours then you never go back to it i can't remember now mm-hmm. but i always remember i always stuck with me but what do you play what instrument do you play do you play many things or I I mean not many things. So I I play bass predominantly right. and uh, like sing in my bands like um, and I play guitar a little bit, but mostly oh, right. mostly for the sake of like recording a demo so that it you I know resembles that. something. Um, so I kind of just struggle my way through it and then give it to more capable people to you that's, know kind of flesh what out. I do. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. The the engineer from the Love Delta All Stars, a keyboard player now owns this amazing studio in London, in England for underprivileged kids. Incredibly, you know, he records a lot of bad hip-hop, but a load of great kids go in there. And he mixes all my stuff. All the artwork is done by the other keyboard player from the lo-fi. So, yeah, I I record this craziness in my house and just send it out to more capable people to make. (laughs) Yeah, I know how that goes. I guess, like, well, before we started recording, you were talking about, like, growing up in Leeds and kind of, like, um, you know, goth. It was either, like, goth or people into hip-hop, I guess, was, you know, kind of the thing you were talking hip-hop about. Hip-hop and dance music, yeah. I mean, Leeds was a creative town, you know. A lot of famous, well, I say famous, I mean, Chumbawamba from Leeds. Mm-hmm. None of you know Age of Chance, who have dated very badly, but were one of the first sort of rock bands to use samples. They were pretty... Big and soft seller from Leeds and Sisters of Mercy are from Leeds. So yeah, there's a lot. Definitely. Of, you yeah. Know, so, but yeah, it, I just, yeah, it was like, fuck the goths. We're into hip hop. We're breakdancing over here. You can look miserable over there. Obviously, mm-hmm. my opinion has changed of that. But as a 14 year old kid, it was like, you were you were into this? Are you, and you are you into this? You're into the, this kind of 80s English music, which was either. Duran Duran, I suppose, or the the Cure and stuff like that, Sisters of Mercy, or you into the American music, which was dance music and hip hop. Yeah, I wonder. Do you do you feel like now when you kind of look at those things, like really, I guess Sisters of Mercy, um, and then some of the hip hop that you were into, like, do you feel like you see more like similarities between it than you did as a kid? Uh, not so much Sisters of Mercy, not really. I mean, I can see more of Sisters of Mercy in the dance music that mm-hmm. I was, I'm into. You know, the the techno techno can sound quite gothic at times. Once yeah. 
it's a bit deep and a bit heavy, it can sound very gothic. So I think there's definitely a crossover there. But I'm sure if you'd have said to Sisters of Mercy at the time, come to this nightclub and listen to this house music, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I think their influence is, you know, all those bands, Depeche Mode, all those bands, I think the influence on dance music is, you know, obvious. So, mm. I mean, Leeds was crazy because I was in hip hop and there was no... I went to, you used to go to this hip hop club at the Ritzy nightclub and they start playing music, house music, and nobody cared. I remember talking in school the next day and someone said, oh, they played this stuff called, it was like Jack something. And it was like Jack the Groove and Jack the Beat. When all the house music came out, it was Jack this, Jack the House, Jack the Groove. And nobody cared. It was hip hop and it was playing house music. That's what's, again, going back to Electro 4, the song on Electro 4, Cybertron, I mean, that's one of the first ever techno songs of all time. Techno cities, but it's Juan Atkins. You know, Juan Atkins is the god, one of the godfathers of Detroit techno, and it's on Electro 4, and nobody cared. I mean, it sounds like Prince. The beats are obviously a Prince influence in the bass line, but it's Kraftwerk, and it's just, and it's it's next to Run DMC, Sucker MCs, and that just doesn't happen anymore. And it, it I, I'm going to sound like an old man. But when I used to DJ a lot, I used to start with hip hop and end with drum and bass and play everything in between. Mm-hmm. And to do that, to do that these days is would just you'd be considered a crazy person, you know. I, I DJ every now and then. Nowadays, I just play Northern Soul and old '60s soul rarities and stuff like that, seven-inch singles. Yeah. But yeah, it's like that. Electro is incredible. It's got one of the first bits of techno, one of the first bits of street New York hip hop. It's just you know that's what's so great about that album and it's like breaking in space is like considered like a bit of a disco classic now like an 80s boogie classic and just an incredible album and cybertron went on to become well Juan atkins became model 500 you know making songs that have influenced dance music that's changed the world you know yeah and it's all on that one album and techno city sounds like some football chant the vocals in that it's just it's it's just an incredible album and just that's an incredible thing. yeah it's it's wild it's like it's almost just like if i mean you did it for me but it's like if if someone was like i want a history of you know this then you could give someone street sounds electro four and it really just does exactly that i think it does and it's like electro eight was the first one i bought which is a classic but electro four is the one that introduced breaking in space and just encapsulates the scene at the time that mm. we were all into it was like insane you know electro electro the name yeah over here it's called freestyle mm-hmm. you know what we know as electro is freestyle but it's not you know electro was a term that they used in england that we just we knew it as hip-hop we didn't really call it hip-hop it was called electro but the electro that i it's hard to explain this because I, songs that I would call electro, my friends in New York would say, well, that's freestyle. You know, there's like, because not to ramble too much. No, you're one, of the, one of the Street Sounds compilations that was put out was West Coast Beats. First okay. time anybody in England heard Ice-T, World Class Wrecking Crew, which is Dr. Dre's first band. And there's also Kid Frost, a Latin rapper, and it's a freestyle song. And there's all Egyptian Lover. I don't yeah. know if you know Egyptian Lover. I know, you know, yeah. That's like electro towards, but I think it might be considered freestyle. I'm not sure, but it's it's electro and all that fast hip hop all came from street sounds, West Coast beats, which was first time in England we'd heard all that stuff, and it blew everybody's mind even more. 
you know, it's like, oh. And do, what, what street sounds was that on? It's just called West Coast Beats. Okay, West Coast Beats. Oh, it's called West Coast Beats, and there's also uh, East Coast versus West Coast compilation. But Street Sounds, it's got Doc, it's got Ice T's first song, I think. It's got World Class Wrecking Crew on there, Egyptian Lovers on there, Unknown DJ, 808 Beats, which is a brilliant bit of electro. So, yeah, it, again, it, it's early house music. It, it just. But the sad thing is, a lot of my friends who are into hip hop sort of stopped. All my friends who were into electro stopped at 1994 with Tribe Called Quest, the classic era of Tribe Called Quest, the Far Side, Jungle Brothers. And then that's when I got into house music. You know, that's when I really sort of started moving away from hip hop and started going out raving in fields, you know, mm-hmm. started going out and listening to going to clubs in Leeds that were playing nothing but house music. And it just, I, did, I always loved hip-hop, but around that time when my friends were like, like everything's shit after 1994. I didn't like how hip-hop was going. I just started moving into sort of dance music, and that's how the band came, because I took all those samples, the sampling, the beats of hip-hop, but all I was doing at the time was going out clubbing, so I wanted to make fast hip-hop. Really. Yeah, I, I feel like as a... There, there were... So I guess just explain a little bit like how I was raised, like the only way I experienced this era was just from like essentially like cable TV rerun things, you know? So it would be like, I remember, I remember watching like the disorderlies, uh, the fat boys movie, oh, and yeah. like, like break in, uh, break into electric boogaloo and beat street, uh, and crush groove. And I was like obsessed with that, you know? And even the first time I heard, um, or I saw the, uh, walk this way you know the aerosmith run dmc yeah. thing i was just like give me more of this you know and it, it's 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 definitely like more of the surface level than than this stuff but it really does tie into it especially i guess when you um we've already run dmc is on this but th- at some point it's like i had a choice of two doors you know it was like yeah. i could have went more down that way and then just for some reason like I don't know. I also watched like "Smells Like Teen Spirit" by Nirvana, and then I cl- I chose that door. Yeah, yep. I completely understand. I, I I could have gone either way living in Leeds. I completely understand. It's like hip hop. It's funny. The thing is, Stephen Carr, the lad who at fourteen years old introduced me to breaking in space and hip hop. I remember being as a sixteen year old so disgusted that he bought to go to tickets to go see Madonna. I thought, mm-hmm. you sell out. You're leaving hip-hop behind to go see Madonna. I remember it really stuck with me at the time, going, fuck, what the fuck are you doing? You're, I thought you were into hip-hop, not Madonna. But I was wrong, obviously, you know. But, yeah, it's true. It, it, at that time, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. At the time, I, I was just immersed in hip-hop. And yeah. my family holiday, the one vacation we took every year was a weekend in London. That's what mm-hmm. we do. And there was a record shop called Groove Records. And me and my brother would save up our pocket money or whatever. I was working at, at 14. I was working in a car shop. And uh, we'd go down and just spend it all on records. Because you couldn't get them in Leeds. You couldn't get this hip-hop stuff. I know it sounds... I mean, I suppose it's the same with obscure rock music. But you, in America, you could get stuff. But in England in the mid eighties, you could not get this music. It's like, yeah, you had to go to this one particular record or maybe two particular record shops in London that would have the latest import 12 inch from New York. Cause it was always New York. Yeah. And it, it, 
me and my brother coming back comparing the 12 inches that we've got yeah i think i think in some way i've thought about it recently because i i feel like i'm usually prone to kind of have the same thing where i'm like you couldn't get things or you know the kind of things were different thing but uh, silly example <laughs> silly example but me and my wife were sharing a spotify account and so a lot of the things i got, I got suggested were based on our algorithms meshing and then eventually, like, I just had my own Spotify account, and then I feel like it, like, it was telling me, it was kind of pushing me to listen to different music. So kind of even zooming out from that, it's like, sometimes in life, I it's like you're almost like, you're trapped in algorithms, I think is like a, a easy way to put it. But even like, if you kind of go back to when we were both probably younger, it's like our algorithms, in quote, uh would be like the friends we had oh completely yeah completely and utterly it was like yeah that it was just it was just it was just sharing cassettes in this playground it's that basic sharing yeah. cassettes that you did in the play i mean i remember my claim to fame back in the day was i was the first person to get uh licensed to ill by the beastie boys mm -hmm. and i brought the cassette into school and it spread like wildfire around the school, even though they weren't that, they were never that big in England, but nobody had heard anything like it. You know, we were all into hip hop and that album, whatever you think, I still think it sounds not all great, but some of it's amazing. And it just, yeah, it was all just friends sharing mixtapes. Or somebody would come in, oh, I remember people going, have you heard this Roxanne Chante? It was like this incredible female rapper, you know, I remember my friends, playing cassettes of hers going, oh, there's this battle between these two rappers, the real Loxanne and Loxanne Chante, and this obsesses in England. And the crazy thing was Street Sounds, the record label, Morgan Khan, he put out a thing once a week, once a month called Street Sheet. Which mm -hmm. was, it was, it, I, me and my brother were talking about this. When I said I was doing this, me and my brother were reminiscing about it. It was this double A4-sided printed sheet with news from American hip hop with okay. like, who was in the studio? who was doing this and we used to get it sent to a house and we were so excited. And the crazy thing was we found out about DJ Scott LaRock. I don't know if you know who was KRS one's DJ was shot and killed. And this mm. was, this didn't happen in England. It completely mm. blew our mind that Scott LaRock's dead. You know, we just bought criminal minded by Boogie Down Productions, incredible album. And oh, fucking hell, we read on this, this crazy double A4 sheet that Scott LaRock had been killed which was probably happened two months, three months earlier, but it was just insane. And there was one radio station in England that would play hip hop, just one station. And it was two hours every, I think it's Friday or Saturday night. And it, man, this is me and my brother again remembering. And you used to, in Leeds, you used to be able to call this radio station on a premium phone line and listen to the radio station down the phone. Mm. I don't know if they did that in America. And my mum and dad would say, right, you will have five minutes because it's going to cost us so much money if, to do this. So we would know when the top 10 countdown would be on this show. And we'd listen on the phone, both of us, to see what the latest songs were. It's fucking insane. That's crazy. Maybe yeah, I, the closest thing I remember that is there was a thing like you could look in the newspaper and you could pick a story and then you could call that specific number. And they would read you the story, oh, which really? sounds, yeah. It's crazy. I know. And uh, yeah, I, the thought of that's how it used to be. <laughs> the radio station, I mean, Mike Allen was a legend to, it was called Mike Allen, old fella. I mean, imagine somebody, 
at the age of Regis Philbin, crazy, been around for years and he just got into hip hop. And his show, Mike Allen's Army, man, he used to, he influenced the whole of the, he, I don't think he had any idea how important he was to kids of my age growing up. It's crazy. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's, I remember growing up and there was like a, just like something I feel like I would say as a kid, like, oh, I hate techno. And then like, but then it got to a point and I still, I don't know that much about it, but it's like, okay. So I bought a van uh, for us to tour in. Now it's been like more than 10 years, but in the CD player, uh, I just bought it off this guy. It just said techno mix (laughs) and uh, we would just play it in the van. And it was like, we were all like, fuck, I guess we like techno. But like outside of that, we were like, you know, haven't, I haven't dug like I should, but it's like, sometimes I don't even know where to look, where to start. I mean, I don't really anymore. (laughs) I I find myself listening to older music again. I get home and I put on all the Northern soul or the funk or the old reggae that I listen to. That's mainly what I listen to at home these days. You know, I mean, I was DJing up until about five or six years ago. I was still DJing a lot. You know, well, maybe 10 years ago, I think I used to play back in Europe a lot. I used to play, had a residency in Barcelona and I used to go to the Far East a lot. And it used to be great, but it, it would be playing at clubs till two or three in the morning. And I just I just realised I was just getting older and the crowds were getting younger. Also, people stopped booking me because I was out of touch. Nobody could, you know. I, yeah. I, I wasn't a name anymore. So eventually I just dropped off and I was... I missed the money, but I was quite happy to drop off and be like, nah, I don't, I just want to go home and listen to some obscure 1962 recording of a Northern Soul song. You know, I don't want to be playing the prodigy at five in the morning in some crazy party in Thailand. As fun as it was, don't get me wrong, but yeah, I'm very happy. I've sort of trained myself to start getting back into more music again. I still listen to a lot of the new hip hop. I love, I love the new hip hop. All my friends despise it. I love the production. To me, the rappers these days aren't rappers, you know. They're not MCs like I grew mm-hmm. up with. But the production on the beats these days is fucking... It's like Aphex Twin. You know, if you took if you took off some of the vocals off a Travis Scott album or something like that and put that out 10, you know, 10 years ago, it'd be like, well, is this the new Square Pusher release or the new Aphex Twin? You know, it's like amazing production. Yeah. Just... Yeah, it's funny that you said that two bands that you did because i was kind of uh, talk i was talking to some of my friends about because i've been listening to this you know street sounds electro for a bunch but i i like texted one of my friends and was like really i should have just gotten into the prodigy and apex twin and were the exact bands that i said instead of like all the rock music because i feel like if that was like a foundation that got me into like deeper things like you know that I, just, I guess i'm going back to i wish i in some ways i wish i went down that door you know like there's so much that i just don't know um and you know it's it's like almost frustrates me sometimes i, I, I get that with rock music though you know yeah i would i would imagine yeah i managed this tap a tap room with this brewery in bushwick now great kissy busy brilliant brewery and oh, a lot of the you know, a few of them there play hip hop, but a lot of them playing rock music that I didn't know what the residents sounded like until some. I know the residents, yeah, and the replacements. I know the legend to some people, they mean everything, but I didn't really know their music. I knew of them, but it somebody puts them on at work, and I'm going, Oh, fuck, who's this? Yeah, Love and Rockets. I would never listen to Love and Rockets in my life, 
But somebody put Love and Rockets on. I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. Who is this? Who is this? And it was like, so I'm I guess fun. yeah. I guess that's the good thing about it, though. It's like it's almost like, you know, there's. I mean, there's so much rock music that I don't know too. But it's like, it, if I were to dig into you know more northern northern soul, even like it's like, I'm just a child at that point. It's like I'm experiencing so much of it for the first time. So I guess I should be also appreciative of that feeling you know like you are with love and rockets i do find that i play northern soul at work and nobody asks what this is whereas i can play some old bit of reggae or an old bit of hip-hop and somebody will go see oh just want to check who this is but northern soul through the speakers at work is so thin it's Mm -hmm. weird i mean it's all melody there's nothing else there's no riffs there's no it's all melody and it's all melody in two and a half minutes and I think if your brain isn't ready for that, then I don't know. I play that at work and I turn it off myself because it just sort of sounds, it doesn't sound right unless you're in that sweaty environment of a Northern Soul club and dancing to it. I don't yeah. know. That, that, I don't know. I'm probably wrong about that, but it's like, what would be, what would be an artist? Like if you were DJ in like a Northern Soul night, like what would be just one artist you would grab for? Well, that's the thing. There isn't one artist. That's Every single one of the Northern Soul hits, in general, one-off, mm-hmm. one-off hits, you know. So I'll tell you who was a big Northern Soul artist that very few people know is Major Lance. And Major Lance's daughter is the mayor of Atlanta. I think she's called Lance Bottom. I can't remember her name. She's the mayor of Atlanta. And she's the daughter of Major Lance, who is like one of the legendary Northern Soul singers is Major Lance. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, oh. Rita and the Tiaras, Your Love Is Gone With The Wind is one of the greatest songs of all time. I could, they're all individual though. I yeah. Could, you have to dig, I have to, my brother's up, he's deeper than me. Him and his wife who are, they're both in the mid fifties now, they go out Northern Soul dance and they can do all the spins, the high kicks. I don't know if you've ever seen the Northern Soul no. dance. It's a unique style of dancing, lots of spins. And they go out, they've trapped, they were going to, they were all set to go to Israel to a Northern Soul dance event. Wow. Of all They've been to Germany. They've been to Bamberg, which is this legendary brewer's town, small little town. And they had a Northern Soul event there. It's insane. It's all of that. They, they went to one in Seattle, went to Northern Soul. They flew over to go to Seattle just to see this, do this Northern Soul event. So they could get deeper than me. I have a collection of singles, but it is singles. There isn't, there's no Northern Soul albums. Uh-huh. Nobody released an album that was Northern Soul. They just released. Uh, it was all singles, mm-hmm. you know. You couldn't say, oh, here's a classic Northern Soul album. The best Northern Soul albums, are... one of them I almost put on the list of albums was a Kent Records, which is a big compilation label. They put out uh, Soul Class of 66. That was the album that got me into Northern Soul. It's a collection of 10, 11 Northern Soul songs. And, you know, it's like, that's just an incredible northern that's a good starting point that's got some of the greatest yeah i mean i've been writing them all down uh because i'm you know it's, it's definitely something that definitely like piques my interest more you know i can like i feel like a lot of the kind of rock music i like it's like i know what i like i've been listening to it my whole life and it's like i can easily and comfortably always go back to a dinosaur junior record but you know so much i feel like i've always been like what what is this that's playing and kind of you know, brain thing, um, you know, so it's, it's always like, this is this and, you know, the Northern soul stuff you mentioned and uh, earlier, you know, it's like, I, 
I want to know, you know, more about it. So yeah, I've been writing down all well, these I, things that you said. Well, I mean, I love Dinosaur Junior, and I always, I always try and listen to the latest band that's coming out. But I always find myself after three or four songs of guitar, bass, and drums, I want to hear weird sounds. Mm-hmm. I want to hear weird effects. Oh, I want to hear a two-minute pop song where there's no flesh on the song. You know, I loved the Strokes. When the Strokes came out, I remember being blown away. Oasis, when Oasis and Stone Roses, I, I went from dance music to Stone Roses, Happy Mondays. If I'm going to name my favourite rock band of all time, I'd say the Happy Mondays. The, their first two albums are the rawest, funkiest. I don't know if you know the Happy Mondays. Yeah, I, yeah, I know I know of them. Um, I, I think there's an interesting kind of, it's definitely like, rock music but a lot of like british stuff especially from that time frame like it was the way i'll say it is it's felt like it was having a conversation with like you know i guess dance or electronic music you know completely it's exactly right it was stone roses was the album you listened to when you'd come in at three in the morning from going out listening to house music you'd mm-hmm. put on stone yeah. roses and primal scream and it would feel like a natural continuance of the night and the Happy Mondays were into Parliament and Funkadelic, and they were the first rock, rock band I heard where the bass line was so up in the mix. You know, the first uh, first uh, Happy Mondays album produced by Martin Hamnett was like, the bass is so up in the mix. And there was no white rock bands at that time where the bass and Stone Roses, the bass line was everything. And that just comes from being into funk and soul and into dance music. It was the bass line wasn't was never buried it wasn't yeah. about the guitar solo it was about the baseline was what you felt and the mondays man the mondays are so good at that sort of thing yeah you could get kind of you could i mean with primal scream and with stone roses like you can in the same way that a lot of like dance music like you kind of just you know for lack of a better way to put it you kind of just vibe with it more you just get immersed in it um you know i think some some of the early shoegaze kind of had that but it doesn't really it kind of sometimes lacks like the rhythm aspect but it, it definitely is like immersive in that way you know that dance music can be while being its own thing you're right and that's why ride one of my favorite bands from that era i thought ride were an incredible band because again, the bass and the drums were such yeah, a definitely. Their sound, you know, and I loved My Bloody Valentine, but My Bloody Valentine was more about the the overall wash and the distortion. Mm-hmm. But Ride had that, but they had song really great songs as well. But also yeah. the bass line, the the bass and the drums were so a big part of Ride. Yeah, that's like a crazy thing. I mean, I've seen uh, it feels like there we're constantly on some wave of shoegaze, you know, that's been resurrecting itself forever, yeah. you know, and it's like usually my issue with kind of modern shoegaze bands or really m- probably most of the genre is there's bands like Ride and then there's almost like everybody else. You know, there's there's a bunch of others I can throw in there that, you know, so I'm not disregarding it, but it's just they kind of forget that part of shoegaze that it's like it's the base. The base can be like carry everything while everything else is a wash. And that's what's amazing, can be amazing about it. You know, exactly. It's spot on. You know, I agree. And it, you're right about the slow dive. I was amazed when Sugar, I was Freudian slip there, when slow dive came back and we're mm-hmm. headlining Terminal 5. The slow dive were good, but in England, they weren't, they weren't considered one of the big shoe gates. They were considered like 
part of the gang following behind My Bloody Valentine and Ride, Slow Dive. Yeah. Slow Dive reformed and they're playing Terminal 5. I'm going, how the fuck has that happened? Yeah. Is that just people remembering them being better? I mean, they were a great band, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Weren't one of the they weren't one of the great bands of that scene, Slow Dive, and I was shocked when I saw them. But good for them, man. Good for yeah. them. I mean, why if they if we were, you know, I don't know why we'd be saying this in front of them. That probably would be rude. But in some way, they'd probably be like, I don't disagree with you. You know, it's like the kind of the way they came out was, you know, that way too. Um, you know, I like them, you know, enough too. But oh, I, right. I, I totally don't disagree with you. I, I you know, I get the point we're making, like just that conversation that kind of happens with, uh, within that era of, uh, I mean, shoegaze, like we said, but you know, stone roses. And even when it went into like the prodigy, that, that whole scene kind of like, I'm just, I don't know like the kind of history of it or where that kind of maybe morphed for you, I guess we'll say. And I, I don't think you were exactly there with prodigy. Um, but it, there seem to be kind of similarities, you know, kind of playing around in that way. Like, you know, um, so I guess like from street sounds, electro four into, I guess the later era of, you know, the time frame that you were playing, you know, in your band, low fidelity, all stars, like, what do you think, the trajectory was from that point into that sound. And I, I'm even saying like, even zooming out, uh, like where, where did that scene come from? I mean, I can guarantee you, in fact, I know that Liam from the Prodigy grew up on electro compilation. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. It sounds about, like it. Yeah. He's talked about them himself. It's just anybody. Yeah. He was a hip hop boy and he grew up on electro. That's, you know, that's just part of it. I mean, I don't know, like I said, the evolution. I, I was signed to, the Love Fidelity also was signed to Skint Records, which was Fatboy Slim's record label. And I don't know if you know of the bands off there, they were all, I suppose, the big beat scene. But all of those people were just hip hop heads. All mm -hmm. the, you find all the early house people who were making house and the techno people, like I was saying, uh, Cybertron, Wan Atkins and everything, they were all hip hop kids, you know, and it, Hip hop is now seems to be the biggest music in the world right now, but house music, it was all, in my opinion, this is probably very controversial to a lot of people, but all the people making the early house that people love that influenced all the other stuff, were all just coming from hip hop, mm -hmm. you know, electro. They were coming from, in England, it was electro, in America, it was probably freestyle and craft work and stuff like that thrown in there. But... Yeah. I think it's interesting in America, like all the people that are in, not house, but it, because I'm looking at things like even like Steve Aoki, um, but they came out of they came out of punk though. That's what's really interesting. Yeah. Even like Moby in the same way, um, and that that's always interesting to me. Yeah, that's true actually. Not, yeah, I mean, Moby's. I mean, I loved Moby's early stuff. The early rave stuff was like go, and I feel it. I think brilliant songs. I mean. Like, Hated all the stuff that was that used in every TV commercial. That yeah. I mean, that's sampling used, in my opinion, in a terrible way. That's like taking music that's out of co copyright, so you don't have to pay anybody, taking a whole song and putting a beat behind it. Well, yeah, there is one specific. I mean, Snoop Dogg has enough good music in his career, so I think he's fine to take a hit from me. But there's the there's like that. Basically, it's a Snoop Dogg song, but essentially, it's a Doors song. And it's just Riders in the Storm looped. And I'm like, 
you didn't oh, yeah. do anything, you know. No, I agree. I mean, I'm, 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 I wasn't, you know, I'm kind of a fan of Kanye. He's still interesting and done some incredible albums. But, you know, he, he, he sampled uh, Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield. And that was the whole song, was him just rapping over Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield, you know. And it's like, that's not that creative, I don't think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, especially with Curtis Mayfield more so than The Doors. I'm a big Doors guy. But, you know, with Curtis Mayfield, it's like, this is already a good song. Or even with The Doors saying, this is already a good hook. You know, it's like you're not (laughs) you're not adding anything to it. And with someone like Snoop Dogg, uh, even or even Kanye West, it's like you're better than this. You know, but I think you get to a level of that level where I'm still going to make money. Yeah, this is going to sell five million copies. I'll pay 80% publishing to the doors. My 20% is still going to be a million dollars, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, P. Diddy sampling, missing this. I mean, I hate this fucking police song that he sampled for Missing You. Yeah. That sold so many copies that Sting must have made millions and millions off that. But P. Diddy will have made a fair amount off that, you know? It's like, you get to that level where your sales are so high. I remember once, it's so funny. I remember once, uh, this came back to me recently when we had our hit record in America and we would, you know, we didn't know what to do next. And our second album flops, you know, without a trace sort of thing. But I remember a record company executive, this was an English one, not one of the American ones who used to say some crazy stuff. This was an English, quite a cool English record company person going, you know what you should do is just, just sample a Black Sabbath riff. Just sample a massive Black Sabbath riff and just put a beat behind it. It doesn't matter. That's what you need to do next. And I remember thinking, that's bullshit, isn't it? That sounds terrible, you know? And we obviously, we didn't. But I I could see the thinking. It's like, well, you want to roll here? Just do something cheesy as fuck, and you'll carry on for maybe another two years, and then it'll all be gone. Yeah, that's why I don't don't blame them. (laughs) Because, like, at my point, it's like, give me something. (laughs) But, you know, but, yeah, it's like the artistic brain of me. But if that continues them, which, you know, if y'all had done that, that that probably financially would have been an amazing decision. or it, just our... it, would have, it would have been for a couple of years. It would have made yeah. us last, our career last a couple of years. But if you're the act that samples Black Sabbath and you're not as big as Kanye, then you're just going to disappear. Nobody's going to care about you. You're going to be a laughingstock and a joke. Yeah. You know, that, that can last you two, two more years on your career. And maybe another ten grand in your bank account, but yeah, it's unless you, unless you release an album that sells millions and millions, then I don't know. It's, it's it, it was a funny time that when you and we we took five years to follow up our album, so that was that didn't help. But you know, yeah, it, it was funny. We we wrote a song called Cattle Prod, which was them trying to get us to write a song exactly like our hit. So we mm-hmm. called it Cattle Pod because it felt like we had somebody with a cattle pod doing get back in the studio and write another song like that. Obviously, it wasn't a hit, but, you know. Yeah, I was trying to uh, think about the one I was listening, one of your songs I was listening to. Re- oh, Battle Flag. I was that was the hit. That That's was, the that hit. Was, okay. That was the hit record. It's funny. Yeah, that, that was the one that's on, on a load of soundtracks. But the funny thing is, the money I get most, I get royalty checks every three months, every four months. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're like two thousand pounds. Sometimes they're like ninety pounds. 
They're not very good. Uh, we don't sell many records anymore. I don't think I've had a thousand pound one for like a good few years. But there's every now and then you get two hundred dollars, five hundred dollars here. But the biggest, the money I make most is we had a song in Sex in the City, a really okay. big scene, a song we did with Greg Dully. We did a collaboration. We did quite a couple of two or three songs with Greg Dully from Afghan Wigs because okay, yeah, he was a fan of ours. We play, he played, he came and played live with us and that, but but uh, it's used on a big scene in Sex in the City, big seduction scene, and that gets played all over the world because when you get your altar statement, you get everything it's played on. You get we get like thirty pages of every single play of the songs and what song it is and how long it was played for. Adult Channel, for some reason, plays one of our songs. We got like, I think we made $2 from the Adult Channel players and Africa Channel. It's insane the breakdown of the, our songs that have. But Sex in the City is where the most of our artists come from because it was, that's a show that's played constantly everywhere. And well, that wasn't yeah. it. That song, I don't even think, we'd never released it as a single. It just got mm-hmm. chosen. That's funny. Yeah. Um, well, you got a couple fractions of a penny because me and my wife just went through uh, watched all of sex in the city you know during quarantine uh so so some of that might be from us uh well, I'll, so, I'll take that i'll have to look so out you're, you're welcome there <laughs> thank you very much i'll go by i don't know with that a fraction of like a candy bar yeah exactly. tiny fraction but yeah. it's, a, it's a scene when the the bald fella first sleeps with charlotte Okay. I, I don't know Sex in the City. I liked it. I liked it when it came out. Yeah, yeah. It's that scene, so it's quite an important scene, apparently. To yeah, I, actually, it's actually I think kind of coming up in my head. I mean that yeah. that um, that actor, he's been in a few. Evan, uh, Evan, I can't remember his last name, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's actually popping in my head. Um, it's funny. It's funny. I went out. I went out on a date with somebody recently. And we were talking, you know, obviously you're trying to impress somebody on the first day, I suppose. So I mentioned the band. No, we texted and I'd meant, no, normally, see, I'm not, this is no ego thing. Normally, I nowadays I don't tell anybody about the band mm-hmm. I was in yeah. for a long time. It's weird to drop it in sometimes. Yeah. It is weird. It's stupid. And also, to be honest, most times I say it now, everybody goes, eh, no, I don't know them. Nobody's heard of them. But I went out this one day and... I said, oh, she goes, what's the name of the band? I go, Love Dealt the Ossad. She goes, Battle Flag. She goes, that's one of my top 50 uh, workout songs. So we made it into that. But anyway, it's a small thing. But yeah, I don't, you know, you don't mention, I don't mention it to anybody anymore. Because why would you? Yeah, really? it is weird. Uh, I remember I was friends with this guy. Like I booked his, like he's just solo with a guitar. And it's like we knew each other for a while. And then from someone else, I found out that he was in some like pop punk band that I liked as a kid. Yeah. And this was like, Brian, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, it's just hard to throw in conversation and be like, do you know me from, you know, this band? Like, it's weird, yeah, it, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I was on a first date, so obviously you're just doing what you can to try and sound impressive, whatever. But again, yeah. every, I would, you know, if you're an asshole, if you do that sort of thing anyway. Yeah. And that even when it does finally come up in conversation, somebody at work will tell somebody else, oh, I used to be in this band, and I'll say, what's the name of the band? And you'll say the name of the band, and they'll just go, yeah, I've not heard of them. And it's like, 
yeah, of course you haven't heard of them because we weren't that popular. We had a moment in the sun. And unless you were at college in 1999 <laughs> in America, then you won't have heard of us, you know. It's like... Just start uh, telling people, like, the like a, the wrong band name, but it's, like, sort of close. Like, tell people you were in Long Beach Dub All-Stars or something. Yeah. <laughs> the great thing was, I remember we went into... We went into a venue in London and there was a the fellow who worked on the door had obviously been there for years. He was like in his sixties. And he goes, Oh, look who it is, it's a low flying assholes. <laughs> and we, all, we we used to insist on that being the sign that went on our dressing room door was the low flying assholes. God, I love I love those people on tour. It was he was such a like he'd obviously seen everything and done everything and just thought, Oh, look at these fucking chances coming in. It, it's the low flying assholes, and I thought that's the best use of the name I've ever heard. So. That's really good. I actually I don't even know what to talk about after that. I mean, no, that's fair enough. I think I think we're I think that's a good uh, logical end. Um, I guess I do want to mention before I let you go, like, uh, or you can talk about it. You put out an EP uh, pretty recently, the Virtual Bison EP. I should talk about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. thanks to, thanks to Elise, the amazing Elise who. I've known for years now. She played in a band I was in. We're splitting two bands that I've been in over the years. Lisa's great, you know, such an amazing musician. Oceanate is great, just such a nice person. And mm -hmm. she said, oh, have you got some music do you want to put out on the label? And I said, oh, yeah, I've got all these things that I've been doing over the years. So I chose a few of the songs that I liked and made them into, tried to make them into three and a half minute songs instead of one minute songs. And, and the, I'll give you a brief story of the Virtual Bison. All of these samples, I'm going to give away the game here, but again, nobody cares because nobody watches it for more than 200 plays on YouTube. Yeah. But me and my friends, when lockdown happened for the first time, me and my friends, my brother and my friends back in England, started watching these obscure Italian films. They got My brother's got into these really obscure 70s Italian films, all with incredible soundtracks. Yeah, a lot of them do. Basically, I just started sampling them. So. Oh, wow. Most of the, yeah, a lot of the, three of the songs on the EP are just based around samples from, I've chopped them up, obviously, but, and the Virtual Bison is the name of the WhatsApp group that we're all on, so. Oh, okay. So they were very happy when I said I've called the EP, because it, you know, it's all, we watch an Italian, we watch an obscure Italian film every week, and then Friday night we do a Zoom call and we talk about it. They've, they've just got into craft beer, and now I've managed this brewery. They're just obsessed. They talk about craft beer. We talk about how much we hate Boris Johnson. And we talk about uh, Italian, obscure Italian movies. So it's fun. But I thought I'd give a shout out to them because that's the name of the EP. Because that's the oh, name yeah. of any of Any of those movies you want to recommend to me? I mean, they're, no. They're, they're what, <laughs> they're, we started watching a style of music, a film called Politioteschi, which is the, the cop movies. A lot of Ennio Morricone scores, they're basically the opposite of spaghetti westerns. They're like cheap Italian crime movies. Oh, okay. Some of them are good. I mean, the, the probably the perfect example is the Rasta, the rat. The first one we watch is called The Rat, the Fist, and the Cynic, which is also okay. one of the greatest titles for a film. Yeah. But it has Thomas Millian, who was like the legend of those Italian films. There's a lot of awful stuff, and the politics aren't particularly spot on. Yeah. 74 in Italy and the violence, but the soundtracks are incredible. There's lots of amazing motorbikes and it's just a style. Mm -hmm. And it, a lot of the writers went on to do famous things and 
it's an interesting loads of american stars appear in the film so there's one with telly savalas we just watched one last week with kurt douglas in it oh wow so all these fading american stars went to italy to star in these politiotesky films for the one final payday so there's james mason's in one anyway it's oh. just it's a really interesting genre and we watch them we discuss them not deeply because in general they're pretty surface yeah it's it just it's a good way to it was a good way to stay in touch with friends mm-hmm. and for me it completely kick-started up my music writing again because i put a phone up to the speaker going oh, i'll sample this beat and then that was it and it's crazy so yeah so a lot of i mean a lot of the kind of even the italian horror movies have really great uh soundtracks you oh, know yeah. like like stuff like goblin or you know oh, or yeah goblin goblin's incredible and there's these and this is one of the greatest songs from all of the uh films and it's this song called Driving All Around by Guy. It's a double A side, but this track will blow your mind. Listen to this when you can tonight. Goodbye, my friend. It's it's absolutely one of the heaviest things you've heard. And it's, that's it. It's the, it's the yeah, Guido and D'Angelo. Guido and DeAngelis, two brothers. They make the best Italian soundtrack music. If you just search for Guido Italian music, it's like uh, amazing. That's and awesome. This, this song driving around is just such an amazing song. And for my 50th birthday, my brother managed to find it in Italy and got it shipped over to me. Wow. Which is crazy. And the suit, but the Susie and guy, this is just, yeah. Yeah. Guido and DeAngelis, there's two brothers that they went on to create a band called Henry's Onions, some crazy psychedelic band, but Check check their stuff out because it's mind blowing. Really, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I super appreciate you taking the time, you know, to talk to me. Like this, it feels like that door that I keep referring to. It's like it's open again, you know. Like you you kind of introduced me, reintroduced me to so much stuff, and like gave me so much that might, you know, uh, just I have so much research to do, and so I super appreciate that well, and love this album. Me, thank you for letting me talk. I'm talk i bored people in bars about music for the last few years but i've not actually had somebody ask me to talk about music so i can talk about music till the cows come home so thank you very much for inviting me on welcome back thanks again to phil for coming on the pod it was a pleasure chatting with him and i loved learning so much about early hip-hop drum and bass and northern soul phil was kind enough to make some amazing playlists so please check them out on patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. There's some Northern Soul and Reggae, and there's also a Street Sounds Electro 4, and on to Prodigy, some just like a good drum and bass compilation. So super appreciate Phil for making that compilation. Okay. Next week on the pod, we're chatting with Ryan Allen of Extra Arms, previously of the band Thunderbirds and Destroy This Place. We talked about the 2001 album In the Valley of Dying Stars by Superdrag, a band that I've loved for a long time, but an album that honestly I've never had the pleasure of digging into. So with that, thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Once again, please check us out on Patreon and leave us a review wherever you do that. And just simply tell a friend. Well, anyway, see you next week.